Hey, hey, Dan. You yeah, what's up? Ditch hosting the feed and go play some games. Burn it. Your mic's on, dude. I, um, I mean, welcome to the feed. <laughs> yeah, I'm your host, Dan, joined by my lovely co-host, Bernie. We both want to be here. This week, we're talking evolution of gaming. That's right. Right from the start of the dark ages of sitting at a stone tablet with actual people to staring at a screen of a computer for hours on end. Wait, people actually sit together to play games? You know what? Let's let's talk about uh, games that make you bored. You mean? Do do you mean board games? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, Ter- Terry. Yeah. Here, here, you did uh, you did some studying up on board games. Uh, why don't you tell us about it? I did, and I can't tell you how right you are about the Dark Ages. Far beyond that, these are games that predate Xbox, <gasps> that predate Atari, <gasps> that predate arcade games, even predate D and D. Board games have a storied history that reached back before written history itself. The first board game emerged around 5000 BC, and they were found to be a prehistoric version of dice. Similar versions of painted stones were found in southeast Turkey, Syria, and Iraq, and it led to researchers to find that it was a rather widely played game. Board games then became more of a royal endeavor as Egyptian hieroglyphs show pharaohs, priests, and even gods playing different types of board games. Senate was the name of the game, and it was based on the idea of the journey of the dead, and is even referred to in the Book of the Dead. Now the oldest known game that we still play today is Backgammon. Having roots back to around 2000 BC, it was extremely popular during the time of the Roman Empire. One of the most well-known board games had its birth around 400 AD. There were games of ancient Germanic and Celtic strategy with two armies of uneven numbers. You might have heard of it, it would come to be called chess. Now let's jump ahead to the 20th century. In 1903, Lizzie Maggie, one of America's very first board game designers, made a game called The Landlord's Game. It consisted of four railroads, two utilities, a jail, and a corner named Labor Upon Mother Earth Produces Wage, which earned players $100 each time they passed it. Sound familiar? Maggie patented the game in 1904 and in 1935, she sold her patent to Parker Brothers, which gave birth to the game that we all know, love, and we might have lost a friend or two to, Monopoly. She sold it for $500. Now, board games have stood the test of time, and of course, we all have our favorites. Monopoly, Why? hands down, because I always was the banker and I would cheat. Probably Clue. Why's that? Because there's mystery to it. Ooh, I was a big fan of Sorry and Monopoly, but I could never convince my parents to play Monopoly. Why, why those two games? Um, Sorry was just fun to like pop the little thing in the middle, and Monopoly I loved because there was just it was kind of a deep game. But as an only child, I couldn't convince my parents to play with me very often. So it was nice. like a nice treat to be able to play Monopoly. Uh, Stakes and ladders, and uh, the, the game of life. Why's that? Because you always got to, like, make up your little fake family. You know, when you got married, then you would have, like, your children. You're like, this is Brenda, and this is Kyle. And it's, like, they're little tiny plastic pieces of pink and blue colored things. From fake families, popping the bubble, or needing sheep for your wood, board games have stood the test of time, and it doesn't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. So roll the dice and find your favorite game. So board games have been around... Pretty much forever. Yeah, jeez. Now, Bernie, Dan, what are your favorite board games? Oh, you know, 
my family used to gather around the table every uh you know, every day of the week, and we'd bring out the old Ouija board and summon a spirit every now and again. That was uh, my family tradition. Dan, what did you do? Well, my family doesn't like each other, so we play Monopoly. Ooh. <laughs> it's kind of funny you guys say that, because I think next week's feed is something like family psychology or something oh. like that. So. Oh, yeah, they do a profile on me. But, you know, other than that, some of my favorite games to play are with my friends. It just makes it more fun. You know, the best ones that are the ones you play at parties, right? No, definitely. We got Mario Party. Yeah. We got drinking games. There's all kinds of stuff you can play, right? I just, I just wish we had someone here to talk about yeah. party games. Huh. Did somebody say parties? Whoa! Oh. Hi, guys! Kennedy the Walking Party came in. Oh, upon yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I party, party hard, right? No. Uh, <laughs> I love games, though. I love video games, board games, all types of games, especially when I'm just a very awkward person when I go out. So I don't really know what to do at parties. So games are there to help me. And I wanted to explore the kinds of games that occur at parties, from nostalgic to the more risque. After a long day of classes and working on assignments, usually all I want to do is curl up in my sweats and watch Netflix on my nights off. My introvert brain seems to hear this when parties are brought up. Through the quad to the gymnasium. Streaking. There's, there's more coming. You gotta fight for your right to But aside from the dancing, clubbing, and the pub crawls, the best times I usually have at parties is the games. One of my personal favorites is blindfolded Jenga. One of the most stressful but satisfying when it's not your turn. J-j-j-jenga. You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. You take a block from the middle and you put it on top. That's how you build a tower, you just don't stop. You gotta build that tower putting blocks on top. It always helps to stretch out and try to be as flexible as you can with games like Twister. Or even Paint Twister if you want to get artfully messy. There's excitement going round, there's a party going down. and the old college standby of beer pong. Pretty messy, but challenging. It can get competitive really fast. These guys can pong. Hey! Twinkle, twinkle, baby, twinkle, twinkle. Good, Drink right? up. Tastes you know what that tastes good. like? Freedom. Yeah! A game that keeps on giving is one based on speed and doing the weirdest of challenges, like moving an Oreo from your eye to your mouth with just your face muscles, or stacking red solo cups as fast as you can. 10 games, each 60 seconds. Playing with household items. Now, it's Minute to Win It. There's also more games that are wordy, like Sociables and Cards Against Humanity, a racier version of Apples to Apples. It's for a doll, because it has bad words. What's there a ton of in heaven? Ghosts, old people smell, and dead parents. (laughs) Cards Against Humanity, a party game for horrible people like you. Even party games that don't require anything like Never Have I Ever, Charades, and the very mysterious game of entertainment. I'll, I can't tell you about that one. I, I, think there, I think there's a rule about that. You do not talk about Fight Club. But whether you're more outgoing or on the shy side, there's a wide variety of games to choose from to have a good time. Oh, yeah, 
Um, are there any games that you guys play? Bernie, Dan, favorite party game? Favorite party game? I like Mario Party a lot. Uh, Quiplash. Oh, yeah. That oh, one's Quiplash super is fun. Some fun. Yeah. Also, Beerio Kart. Ooh, Forgot about that lots one. Lots of fun. Always good to play when you go to Beer K and they got those big Mario Kart mm-hmm. things to race around <laughs> Those in. are rigged. Those what do you mean they're, they're rigged. rigged? They're great. <laughs> <laughs> I have a horrible sense of humor. Cards Against Humanity. It's mine. That's just the way we do it. So thanks, Kennedy, for that. Now, we have Bailey in the studio to talk about a really well-known game. There is no Bailey! Only I, Archmage Eladrin III of the Lycan Forest, the Night Silver Woods, and the Nightshade also Woods. There's a lot of forests. Ba- Bailey, what are you, Bailey, what are you doing? You know this guy? Dan, I'm role-playing. We're talking Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, Dude, uh, I sent you my character sheet before the show. Did you even look at that? Oh, I thought... <sighs> Hey, I thought that was a Kleenex. <laughs> oh, he definitely blew his nose with that. <laughs> well, Dan, we're doing Dungeons and Dragons, so we're going to roleplay a little. So we're going to go back into it. But there is no Bailey. Only I, Eladrin. And Eladrin quested far and wide to bring you this piece on Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. You're hearing it right now otherwise known as D&D, is the granddaddy of all role-playing games known as RPGs. Often hailed as one of the greatest games of its time, it completely changed the force of conventional gaming. And all D&D is, is some pens, papers, friends, and a whole ton of dice. So I set out to find what makes D&D so special. To gain the history of D&D, I talked with an experienced dungeon master, with campaigns both in-person and online for friends, family, and even internet strangers. So I'm Don Costian, and I play a lot of D&D. Alright, so D&D has been around forever. D&D, first published in 1974, was made by the duo of Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. The game was based on existing war games at the time, but what really made it stand out is that in those war games, players usually controlled large formations of characters, and everything was a pure dice roll of combat. What made D&D special is that instead of an army, each player was tasked with making a character. When you play D&D, your job as a player is to come with a character sheet. Now that's where you pick a, you know, a class, a race, and just write a general character backstory. You know, anybody can be anything in this world. If you're, a, you know, a five-foot you know, teenage girl, you can play the burly orc with a great axe. It doesn't matter. It's whoever you want to be. You can play to that character. This would forever define D&D. Other war games appealed to strategy, combat, and math, but what made D&D truly special was that aspect of playing a character. Suddenly, the story became more than just background knowledge for the fights. It became one of the key aspects for how people would define their games. D&D would survive from the 70s all the way until now, with five different editions, several spin-offs, but always keeping the same core concept of gameplay, of a few important stats and a few lucky dice rolls deciding your fate. The game lives on in the heart of its players. By giving them complete creative freedom, they're bound to create some engaging stories and any experience table has more than a few. Well, whenever someone tells a story about D&D, it's never about, you know, when they triumphed over this. It's when someone got a series of bad rolls and something that seemed easy was impossible and it just makes the story better. It's not just all fun and games, however, there are a few benefits to playing the Dungeons and Dragons. 
Oh yeah, o over this past little while I've been playing d and I've gotten a lot better at improvisation. Uh, acting's gotten better, it's just, it's fun. You get to socialize with your friends, you know, have a few drinks, eat some snacks, and just have a good night. D&D will and forever will last. The game has a legendary staying power. Despite a huge controversy in the 1980s where Christian fundamentalists believed the game led to satanic worship because of the demons and dragons often depicted on cover art, the game still survived. The most notable of this controversy was the 1982 TV film Mazes and Monsters, featuring a very young Tom Hanks. What do you guys think happened? One of the players Robbie played with got carried away and killed him. Well, that's kind of far out. Mazes and Monsters is a far out game. Swords, poison, spells, battles, maiming, killing. Hey, it's all imagination. Is it? It has lasted past video games which were thought to kill it and continues to be popular. Just this week, Xanthar's Guide to Everything, a new expansion for 5th edition, was just released to raving reviews. So in conclusion, Dungeons & Dragons is definitely worth a try. Now that I've given you the secrets to Dungeons & Dragons, I, Eldrin, must leave to quest against the Steel Tarrasque. I must be gone by the light of the moon! I don't know that guy. Anyway... Thanks, Bailey. Eladrin! Okay, whatever. That guy smelled like wet paint. <laughs> well, now that we've heard from D&D, it's a little old school stuff, we're going to fill you in on some of the newer kinds of games after the break. Welcome back to the feed. That's right. You're listening to the feed sponsored by Shop at Nate. Today, we're chatting about the evolution of games. That's right. And now... I kind of want to touch on a forgotten art. What is that art? Oh, I'm about to get into that. I'm about to blow your mind, Bernie. I'm ready. I want to talk about the gravel road that we had before all of these luxurious gifts, such as the Xbox and PS4. I can't remember a time. <laughs> Bernie, you talked earlier about how good a story makes about your game, but what about the game before the story? What happens then? You know the Dark Ages, when nickels were the power of all of our games? I want to talk about that, Bernie. Arcade games, the birthplace of all modern video gaming. The dimly lit, sweaty, and crowded den of arcade cabinets were a wondrous place for gamers. Let's play Donkey Kong! Back in those days, those machines would eat up people's days. Back before the internet, home consoles, and mobile games... Arcades were the only refuge and escape from the real world that some kids could get. Watching each other's methods, trying to outshine everyone's scores, and having your initials be on top of the board. 751,300 points. That's impossible. Who's Mad Max? Better than you. One of the older and more well-known arcade games was, of course, Pac-Man. Hey, you know Pac-Man? I know of him. Well, Pac-Man was originally called Puck-Man... They changed it because, uh, not because Pac-Man looks like a hockey puck. Paku Paku means flap your mouth. And that they were worried people would change, scratch out the P, turn it into an F. Like, 
Before Pac-Man was a genre of space shooters such as Galaga, Asteroids, and Space Invaders. Pac-Man, developed and released in May 1980, was the shining staple of the arcades in the 80s. The new genre of game was picked up very quickly and quickly became one of the highest grossing video games of all time, having generated more than 2.5 billion in quarters by the 1990s. In the 1980s, another game took over the market, but unfortunately, it was one of the games that brought the downfall of the arcade era. Tetris. Widely known to have the easiest pickup and play controls, but the highest difficulty ceiling. Line piece. Lord, you have forsaken us all. Line piece. Originally released for the brand new Nintendo Entertainment System, the popular game also had an arcade version. But due to the easier methods to playing, the arcade version saw its downfall. And then there was the dark age of arcades. Arcade games fell through. They paved the way for the home consoles, but were driven right over. Nothing but the occasional vintage gamer would have an arcade machine again. Some games like Street Fighter would move to the big esports stage, but move over to home consoles afterwards. But other than that, nothing. And then, a spark. Vintage became the norm. Hipsters took over the scene. Arcades started showing up again. Bars like Beercade and Denizen used them to attract customers. Arcades like New Play and the Rec Room started appearing. They are nothing like the world we knew back in the 1980s, as the games we have now are just mobile games on a bigger scale. I mean, really, who wants to pay to play Flappy Bird? You know, arcade games have become so vintage that. You can just buy them on all these newfangled technologies, and they're all upgraded now and stuff. Yeah, you know, I've got a problem with those like bars that kind of do it too. Like, sure, it's fun to do, but yeah. you know, pick one thing to do. You want to be like so many things. Yeah, retro. I I want to go to an arcade, put in some quarters, not pay five bucks for like two coins. You know, fair enough. A different gripe, different gripe for a different <laughs> time. But um, I was going to talk about some storytelling of video games. You know, back in arcade days, like you mentioned before, there wasn't a lot of storytelling. It was like, you know, Pac-Man eats dots and fruit. We exactly. got Dig Dug. They dig. They were games without story. But now, yep. that, now that the industry's evolved a little bit, I kind of wanted to talk about that. And uh, just so you know, the feed, once again, is sponsored by Shop at Nate. So this is the evolution of game storytelling. <laughs> So I wanted to talk about storytelling in video games, but before that, I have to take you back in time to 2008. I'm on the couch, I'm playing Metal Gear Solid with my buddy Austin, and right when we get to the cutscene, he skips it. I thought, what? This makes absolutely no sense, that's where all the good stuff is, and I bring this up to him and he says, man, I just want to play the game. That got me thinking. Primarily, do people think of games as storytelling devices or ways to have fun? If you've ever played games or happened to observe them over your significant other's shoulder, you may notice they're trying to tell stories. Video games have so many important aspects that make them a good narrative medium. They have all the audio and visual capabilities of film, the unlimited possibilities of animation, and most importantly, this unique interactive environment that you can only get from playing a video game. 
In recent years, there have been a lot of major successes in storytelling with games. Um, the Walking Dead, The Last of Us, Half-Life or something to come to mind. But it wasn't always this easy. Back in the day, it was hard to tell these stories because of the limitations that games had. Like, you were, it was hard to tell what you were looking at sometimes with games, and hard for them to even establish context, let alone a full story. Imagine you open up a game and you see two ambiguous blocks passing this smaller ambiguous block back and forth. Do you know what I'm talking about? This game was Pong. It was one of the first video games and they had to put the word Pong in huge letters on the front and have athletes playing ping pong for anybody to actually know what it was. As time went on, developers got better at making games. There were better graphics, sound, gameplay, controls, and designers found new ways to use these to make games more interesting and tell their stories. At this time, there wasn't a lot of things to compare video games to, so they experimented. And they came up with the first ever linear cinematic games where the story was told through cutscenes, like Final Fantasy. Other developers would go on to make games that we now call open world games, where they made a world and let players go loose into it to discover the story at their own pace. The Elder Scrolls series is like this, or the controversial Grand Theft Auto series. Once developers knew what kind of game they wanted to make, they also had to write out the story, and that's when they found out writing is hard. So they brought writers on staff eventually to help them out. But they started running into a couple roadblocks, especially with games where it was an open world. Because it's really hard to tell a story when the audience keeps changing where the story's going. For example, imagine going to a play and then halfway through they ask one of the audience members, Hey, uh, what, do you, what do you think we should do next? Oh, okay, I should, I should kill him? Are you sure? Okay, cool. They have to change everything else about the game after that, so they have to write for that and prepare for that, making all of the prep before the show that you don't see in the play that much harder. Developers found that if they got somebody on staff early enough, it would be a lot less difficult and strenuous to make a game with a coherent story. It's important to have all these aspects in your video game because that's where video games thrive in their storytelling because they can tell a story like no other medium. You are the character, you are interacting. If you're not the character, you make all the decisions and that makes the story more engaging because you get to tell your own story. Now, you might be standing up in your wicker chair right now, waving your cane at me, saying, Well, if video games are so dang good, why aren't they the only thing we watch nowadays? Well, it's still really hard for video games to tell a coherent story all of the time, and some video games don't have a story, and they're successful. So producers see that, and that's what they want to fund, because they know it'll be a good investment. Just like a movie or a TV show... Game developers have to go to a producer and pitch their idea before they can get funding to go make it because video games are real expensive nowadays. The only way we're actually going to find change in video games so they have good story, they're interactive, and they're fun to play is if we start funding those games with our own wallet. So why not give story video games a chance? Look up a list online, find a game you think sounds interesting, and try and play it. Who knows? You might even have some fun.
So I hope that convinced you to maybe put a little more, a uh, little more thought into your purchase. But hey, who doesn't like to play a shooter every now and again? It's too? true, it's true. But I do enjoy a good game with a good story. Yeah, man. What, what's your favorite uh, story-driven game? We were talking about uh, Final Fantasy a while. Yeah, back. you did mention that. I love Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah, it's like my favorite game ever. It's funny you mentioned that. it's the like the only one I've played before, and I I do like <laughs> oh, that a lot. It's so good. It's so good. It's almost like watching a movie. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I just you know. I've I've heard that a lot. Hey, well, speaking of movies, guys, sorry <laughs> whoa, to startle whoa, you. Whoa, hey. I came up from hey, behind you in the studio. Were you hiding under there the whole time? I was actually. I I heard you guys were live, and I didn't want to offset your uh, pacing. He was watching a pacing. movie. He was watching a movie. I was watching a movie. You know, movies have been created around video successful video games for for decades. It's been a long time, and although not many of those turn out successful themselves, they leave a lasting impression, and movies based from video games have a stigma against them, and the only thing seemingly worse is is a video game that's based from a movie. Now, we won't be talking about those, but here's a quick run-through of a few select essential films on this topic. Video game movies have come a long way. Now, 1993 was a great year. Not only was I, Harley Mahovich, born in July of 1993, but just two months prior, the first video game-based movie took Hollywood by force. Well, actually, it was a failure. With a current score on Rotten Tomatoes of 15%, Super Mario Bros. is definitely an acquired taste. Look at this. It's a plumber's nightmare. Treat your tools like a friend. Keep them by you. Never let them down, and they're always at your side. We'll freeze them. Keep them busy while we make our way up. Oh, how can we do that? We can't just take an elevator. We gotta do something. We trip the alarm. What do you think I am, stupid? Yes. Well, how are we gonna get up, huh? This film holds the acclaim for being nominated for two Saturn Awards for both costume and makeup. It's a true shame that you couldn't see the costumes or the makeup in that piece of audio. Let's fast forward a few years to come to my favorite set of video game movies, Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation. Move over Super Mario Bros, Mortal Kombat has a score on Rotten Tomatoes of 34%, for the first one anyway. Not only did it spend three weeks at number one in the United States box office, but, well, actually that's it, that's really its only achievement. Let's listen to what made it number one. Scorpion and Sub-Zero, deadliest of enemies, but slaves under my power. That's Shang Tsung's power, now Scorpion and Sub-Zero are there. Sub-Zero just froze her gun, and then he snapped off the, the front half of it. It's crazy. Now Scorpion has a thing coming through his hand. Looks sharp. Kinda looks like a Venus flytrap. Oh, but here's here's Raiden to save the day. We got lightning bolts attacking Sub-Zero and Scorpion, so they're going to be taken care of. Raiden isn't that exciting. He's just a lightning guy, but he can do everything. Raiden, how good of you to grace us with your presence. Jeez, what script writing? Your sideshow freaks attack my fighters. That is expressly forbidden before the tournament. The tournament they're talking about is Mortal Kombat. Here's a fun line from the sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Brother. You're alive. Too bad. You 
will die. Say what you will about Super Mario Bros. or Mortal Kombat, but they did pave the way for video game movies like Tomb Raider, Resident Evil, Doom, and of course, five other Resident Evil movies. To cap it all off, let's take a listen to this clip from 2014's Need for Speed. I'm just trying to keep this out of jail. Well, you might want to fix your hair. Oh, for my mugshot? No. Because I'm about to make you famous. Hopefully he didn't make her as famous as that Need for Speed movie because it lives in infamy as being, oh, just terrible. Even, even my dad didn't like it. And he likes any movie that has a car in it. So there was a quick glance at the reasons that video games sell better as video games and not as movies. And don't even get me started on board game movies like Battleship. Yeah, I'm talking at you, Liam Neeson. Get out of here. And as you can see, guys, there's a lot of different video game movies, a lot of different genres that they cover. I want to ask you, what, do you have any favorites? I might be in the minority, but the Super Mario Bros. movie was a classic. Really? Okay. <laughs> what about you, Bernie? You know, I grew up watching uh, Mortal Kombat because I found yes. it for a dollar. Oh. And uh, I could afford that, so I, <laughs> I watched it all the time. I really liked that one. Um, thanks for listening to the feed. Uh, it's sponsored by Shop at Nate once again. And uh, Dan, you want to run out of here and play some video games? Yeah, I'm down. Let's go play. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Thanks for listening to The Feed. Tune in Sunday nights at 7 for the rebroadcast or online at nr92.com. Sorry. It's over.